Father, um, we thank you for your gift of grace and for your mercy. We thank you for holding us closely in, uh, in difficult or, or challenging times that, that, uh, that we do not comprehend. God, we ask that you would uh, make yourself known clearly to us today. Help us to understand your word. Give us insight for, for how we are to live in light of who you are. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Uh, when I was a kid, I did not understand everything that was taught to me or, or asked of me, and, and I did things that were incorrect because of my misunderstanding. Now, my wife may say that that's still true today, but uh, I don't know. You know, she hasn't told me, and I'm not going to ask, so we're just going to move on. But as a kid, I definitely made a lot of mistakes. And most of them started in my mind because of a misunderstanding. Let me, let me give you an example. Uh, I tended to take things quite literally when people talked to me. And so uh, when I was doing Taekwondo, uh, maybe seven or eight, you know, young age, and I was approaching my first tournament, uh, I, was, I was taught to do Taekwondo like this, you know, like, you know, uh, very slow, very methodical. Uh, that, that's what was taught to me. So, uh, so that's the way I practiced it. And then going into the tournament, my uh, instructor in a very uh, thick Korean accent, you know, he, he said like, when you go to the tournament, I'm not gonna do it. I'm not gonna do a <laughs> Korean accent. I, I can't, I'd mess it up anyways. But uh, he said, now when you go into the tournament, really be mindful of your speed. I still remember it like pretty clearly. That's what he said, be mindful of your speed. I was like, okay. So I went to the tournament and I did it like this because that's what I was taught. I was taught to do it that way. What he meant was, like, be quick, be fast, like, be crisp with your movements. But he said, be mindful of your speed. I didn't quite understand what he was saying in my mind, and that uh, caused me to look really silly at a tournament and not really do well. So that's just one example. I'll give you another example. I, uh, about the same age, and uh, going to bed, I cleaned up my, uh, cleaned up my bedroom and, and everything, and, and my dad gets home from work, and, and he says, all right, all right, go make a pathway to your bed, and I'll come tuck you in. You know, he's kind of playing around. Uh, as if assuming that I've just got toys all over, because I'm a child. Well, I went to my bedroom, and the floor was clear. I had already picked up all my toys. And I, I actually thought he wanted a pathway. Like, this was my understanding of what he said, and so that caused me to pull all of my toys out of my toy box and line them up in a pathway. And I, like, it was winding, you know, like I was having fun with it. That's what I did. It's kind of cute and kind of funny, but I completely misunderstood what my dad was saying. Um, what we understand of something will directly affect uh, the way we perceive what's going on, the way we perceive the world, and, and, and what we do in the world, how we live, especially what we understand of God. That will affect how we understand our world and how we live for God. 
our understanding of him is of utmost importance. Um, it was A.W. Tozer who said it this way. He said, uh, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. The history of mankind will probably show that no people has ever risen above its religion, and man's spiritual history will positively demonstrate that no religion has ever been greater than its idea of God. Worship is pure or base as the worshiper entertains high or low thoughts of God. For this reason, the gravest question before the church is always God himself. And the most portentous, and I had to look it up, that's like a, a, uh, an ominous foreboding, all right? The, mo uh, the most portentous fact about any man is not what he at a given time may say or do, but what he in his deep heart conceives God to be like. We tend by a secret law of the soul to move toward our mental image, of God. And this is true not only of an individual Christian, but of the company of Christians that composes the church. Always the most revealing thing about the church is her idea of God. What we think in our mind and how we, uh, how we understand God, what we perceive him to be, has direct implication on how we are going to live. And if you remember from last time, we're going to be continuing in the book of Acts. And, and last time, Joe was uh, telling us that there is, a, there is a need for the Christian to be all in for God. And we saw that last week in, in Acts chapter 19 uh, with the, the sons of Siva. That uh, they were trying to uh, exercise demons, and, and, and it wasn't working, and there, and there was this... Uh, there was this moved by the Christians to, to recognize God's power over the occult. And, and so they threw all of their magic books into a, into a fire, and they decided to be all in for God. And they, they moved more in the direction of who Christ was. Um, and Joe used phrases like, uh, they brought their old self into their new life for a little bit. Right? And then them burning their books was, was pressing more into that new life. And he asked us to, to think about that this week. What have we brought from our old life? And I, I hope that you thought about it because this sermon is really just a continuation on from that. What we see is uh, the people of God living in a way that so impacted the world, it created uh, upheaval. The gospel turned the world over. And it, and we're going to look at that. And when we look at it, we're going to see that changed people should live changed lives. Changed people should live changed lives. And then we're going to look primarily at the response of the world to these changed lives. And when we look at the response, we're going to ask two things. We're going to ask, what does a small view of God look like and what does that lead to? And what does a big view of God look like? And what does that lead to? So that's kind of what we're going to be doing today. So Acts chapter 19, uh, hopefully you've already turned there, but if you haven't, feel free to. Um, beginning in verse 21. Now, after these things, we're finished. And what things? That was the, uh, the burning of all the books and, and, and that. After these things were finished, Paul purposed in the spirit to go to Jerusalem after he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia, saying, after I have been there, I must also see Rome. And having sent into Macedonia two of those 
uh, who ministered to him, Timothy and Erastus, he himself stayed in Asia for a while. This is like, these are hinge verses uh, changing the direction of the book of Acts. And and, uh, really what it's saying is, you know, Paul is setting his sights on Rome. He's going to go to Jerusalem, but his eventual goal is Rome. And the rest of the book of Acts is about that journey to Rome. It's very similar to when we read in the Gospels that Jesus set his sights on Jerusalem. The rest of that book is about Jesus and what the Father had laid out before him in Jerusalem. So that's what this is. It's kind of a hinge, hinge verses there. And then look what happens. Uh, about that time, there occurred no, stro- no small disturbance concerning the way. Now, what is the way? Uh, Pastor Joe last week talked about uh, it's, uh, the way was re- referred to the, the group of people, the Christian people, but also their way of life. Uh, what, what was characterized of these people was how they lived. So look what happens. A man named Demetrius, a silversmith, who made silver shrines of Artemis, was bringing no little business to the craftsmen. Uh, These he gathered together with the workmen of similar trades and said, men, you know that our prosperity depends upon this business. You see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a considerable number of people saying that gods made with hands are no gods at all. He's referring to the idolatry of the area. And Paul's Paul's preaching was moving the people away from idolatry toward the worship of the one true God. And it's affecting these people. It's affecting their business. It's changing their world. Because people were were all in for God. He goes on, he says, uh, not only is there danger that this trade of ours fall into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis be regarded as worthless, and that uh, she whom all of Asia and the world worship will even be dethroned from her magnificence. So, changed people live changed lives, and that we see that from last week and now here, the way, the way people were living, these Christians were completely different. And it had a major impact on this city. A major impact. And look at the response. The response is one of uh, of panic. And I think it's because a small view of God leads to panic and chaos. If you have a small view of God, it will lead to panic and chaos eventually. Look at how small Demetrius' view of his own God is. Look at this. When there becomes a problem, does he start with who Artemis is? No. He, he talks to the people and he says, hey, we're going to lose business. We're going to lose money. That's the main thing that pops into his mind. Look at what he says. Our prosperity depends upon this business. If you have a small view of God and, and, and your business or your work begins to suffer, would, would you say that your prosperity depends upon your business? Or does your prosperity depend upon God? Does your prosperity depend upon who God is? 
It's a very small view of God, which leads to a small view of prosperity here. And then he continues, look, a considerable number of people were turning away, saying that gods made with hands are no gods at all. Gods made with hands. He's admitting that his own God is just made with hands. That's a small God. What a small God. Of course, we would say that's, of course, that's no God at all. But it's his own belief system, and he's, and he's feeling the pressure upon it, and he's beginning to panic a little bit. Uh, look at more, uh, look, look at another emphasis point, uh, verse 27, that he says, Our trade of ours will fall into disrepute. It'll be disreputable. We won't be respected for, for doing what we do as silversmiths and creating these, these little statues, these trinkets of, of Artemis. He has such a small God that he's afraid what he does is going to be considered disrespectful. He's going to lose favor with people by serving his God. That's a small view of God right there. And then look, the end of verse 27. The goddess Artemis may even be dethroned from her magnificence. (laughs) One who serves a God that thinks uh, people speaking can dethrone that God from magnificence, they have a very small view of God. So we have to ask ourselves the question of what our view of God is. And we're going to look at that a little bit more. But a small view of God leads to panic and chaos. And look what happens. The people are are riled up into a frenzy. Verse 28, uh, when they heard this, they were filled with rage. They began crying out, saying, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. And the city was filled with the confusion, and they rushed with one accord in the theater, dragging along Gaius and Aristarchus, Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia. Panic, chaos now leading to seizing people. And Paul wanted to go into the assembly, but the disciples would not let him. And also some of the Asiarchs, and some of your translations might say like the uh, um, local leaders or or, or things like that. They're just influential people in the area, uh, probably aristocratic. But uh, it says also some of the Asiarchs uh, who were friends of his sent to him and repeatedly urged him not to venture into the theater. So then some were shouting one thing and some another, for the assembly was in confusion and the majority did not know for what reason they had come together. I'm going to read that again. And it's highlighted in my Bible. I think it should be highlighted in yours because it is a really good picture of a mob or a riot. It really characterizes this whole scene. So then some were shouting one thing and some another for the assembly was in confusion, and the majority of them did not know what reason they had come together. Wait, what are we doing here? I thought we were doing this. I thought, wait, what? What, What's going on? Ah, greatest Artemis of the Ephesians. Let's just uh, get into it and start shouting. You see, like, the picture here? There's confusion. There's panic. There's a little bit of chaos. We're going to seize these two people. And I'm submitting to you, that is the actions of a people that have a very small view of who God is, 
a very small view of who God is. So look what happens. Some of the crowd concluded it was Alexander, since the Jews had put him forward and having motion with his hand. Alexander was intending to make a defense to the assembly. Now, um, Alexander, uh, a Jew, we don't know what his defense is. He's thrust, he's thrust forward uh, in, in front of this riot, in front of this mob uh, to give a defense. Probably, probably what he's going to do is he's going to try to distance himself from Paul a little bit, right? They're angry about Paul, about the way, about the Christian movement. But they also know that Jews are preaching one God, right? That Jews don't believe in, in idols either. So there might have been a little bit of association. Now, I don't want to put words there. That's probably what the defense is, but we don't know, we don't know what Alexander's defense is. But look at, their, look at the response of the people. But when they recognized that he was a Jew, a single outcry arose from them as they shouted for two hours. Two hours they started shouting at him, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. That must have been a tense, tense environment. But look what happens. The town clerk begins to speak. And what's really interesting is the town clerk actually calls these people back to a high view of Artemis in an attempt to calm them down. Look at, after quieting the crowd, the town clerk said, men of Ephesus, what man is there, after all, who does not know that the city of the Ephesians is guardian of the temple of the great Artemis and of the image which fell down from heaven? So you guys are panicking because, because you think Artemis uh, is just crafted by human hands, but no, the image fell down from heaven. As legend goes, there was a, a rock that fell uh, from the sky that kind of looked like a woman and ended up in the temple of Artemis, and there you go, you have a religion. Um, but he's calling them to be like, why are you freaking out? Why, why, are, why are you doing this? Like, everyone knows that this city is a great city because we are the guardians of this temple. And the image isn't crafted by human hands. It fell from heaven. It fell from heaven. Of course, we know that Artemis is no god at all. But do you see, do you see what the town clerk is doing? He's calling them to a high view of God. So since these are undeniable facts, you ought to keep calm and do nothing rash. For you have brought these men here who are neither robbers of temples nor blasphemers of our goddess. So then if Demetrius and the craftsmen who are with him have a complaint against any man, the courts are in session and proconsuls are available. Let them bring charges against one another. He's calming them down. He's saying, look, if you really, if you actually have something to say against these men, bring it up. We're going to deal with it in a legal way. But if you want anything beyond this, it shall be settled in the lawful assembly. For indeed, we are in danger of being accused of a riot in connection with today's events, since there is no real cause for it. And in this connection, we will be unable to account for this disorderly gathering. Look at the contrast there in verse 40. Uh, we are in danger of being accused of a riot versus what Demetrius said in verse 27. There is danger that this trade of ours will fall into disrepute. There's a difference in the way that, that they're viewing what's going on, and that has a direct impact on what happens here. So the people calm down, and after saying this, 
he dismissed the assembly. And that's kind of the close of our scene. But I want us to think about our view of God. And we're really going to press into that. Do we have a small view of God? Or do we have a big view of God? Uh, the people in this passage have a small view of God. And it can only be so big because Artemis, or as Joe pointed out last week, often referred to as Diana also, was not a real God. So your view of God is going to be uh, held back if you survey a fake God like Artemis. It's only through the scriptures, through, through the preaching of God's word, that we learn who God really is. And that's what was happening as Paul was, was preaching the gospel, as he was reasoning with people in the marketplace and in the synagogues, and they were, they were actually learning about who God was, and their view of God began to change, and they began to place their faith in, in this Jesus Christ that they learned about, and it completely changed their lives. And because it changed their lives, it changed the way they lived and it began to change culture, it changed the world. They had a big view of God. What, what are some pictures of a big view of God? What, what, what am I talking about here? Um, think of Paul. What was Paul known for in the New Testament? What characterized Paul? Contentment? Peace? Drive and desire to make Christ known? Everywhere he went? And where did he find contentment? Prisons? Getting beaten? Getting left for dead? How is, how is a man able to carry on preaching the same thing over and over again while enduring that kind of thing? He had a big view of who God was. He understood that the one true God was in control of everything. He knew who Christ was and what Christ had done for him and what Christ was doing in the world. That's a big view of God. Think of the disciples experiencing martyrdom, execution. They were willing to endure it because of who God is. Because they saw that the, the, that the message of God was so important. They weren't going to give up. That is a big view of God. You know, um, when people react in, in, a, uh, in a panicked way to things, they really are demonstrating that they're they're not viewing God properly. Because uh, understanding who God is, having that, that big view of him, really should lead to uh, safety and solace in who he is. If when, um, if when Jesus is mocked or attacked in social media or, or, or by friends, it, if your first instinct is, is panic, ask, 
Do, do I think that Jesus can't defend himself? Do I think that, um, that he's actually as small as, as some of these gods made by human hands? It's an important question that we need to think about. We should be able to respond graciously with truth. But sometimes we respond uh, quickly and without measured thoughts, possibly posting on social media with uh, start-out expletives or uh, all caps so people know we're being really serious. I haven't seen any of your posts, but I do see some posts. And you guys see it. There's, there's arguments that, that go on online. There's arguments between people. Pay attention to how people are responding to these arguments. And notice and think about how they're viewing God in those moments. How are we supposed to view God? Well, in the short amount of time, is that clock right? That clock can't be right. Okay. In the short amount of time, it's broken. It's broken. I've got you all for another 40 minutes. No. Uh, in a short amount of time, I want to take a look at something. Um, what, we're, what we're called to be like in, in, in light of, uh, of some, some of this hardship and, and opposition like Joe talked about last week. Uh, turn to uh, 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. This is what a big God of uh, a big view of God looks like. Beginning in verse eleven, it's written that it says, "Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts, which wage war against the soul. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds." As they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as the one in authority or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. For such is the will of God that by doing right, you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. For such is the will of God that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. They didn't have an argument, this riot in Ephesus. They really didn't have anything against them, which is why the town clerk really dismissed it. Look, if you've got something real, we can, we can handle this in a legal way. But the assembly got dismissed. the ignorance of these foolish men were silenced because of the right way of living by these Christians. Again, sometimes when we encounter people that, uh, that don't agree with us, we, we think that shouting louder can make a difference. But Christians here are Encouraged to live rightly. Verse 16, act as free men. Do not use your freedom 
as a covering for evil, but use it as bond slaves of God. Honor all people. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the king. That's what a picture of a big view of God looks like. There is a calmness about it. There is a a desire to continue to live rightly. But not to get worked up into a frenzy, as others may. As we think about a big view of God, we we tend to look at things skewed. We tend to want to focus on uh, God's justice and, 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 his, uh, and his holiness. And we overemphasize that and we lose track of his, uh, maybe his love or his mercy. So as we enlarge our vision of God, we also need to have a complete vision of God. We need to take that into account. Um, Philippians chapter 2 gives us a picture of God says that Christ emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Now, I don't, I don't normally reference uh, Eugene Peterson in my sermons, but Joe always does, so, so I have one today. But uh, speaking on these verses, uh, Eugene Peterson said... Uh, that he kneels among us. Jesus kneels among us. God gets down on his knees among us. He gets down on our level and shares himself with us. He does not reside afar off and send diplomatic messages. He kneels among us. That posture is characteristic of God. The discovery and realization of this is what defines what we know of God as good news. God shares himself generously and graciously. That helps to add a complete picture of who God is. It should help to magnify our view of him as we worship him. Uh, David wrote in Psalm 34, magnify the Lord with me. Enlarge our view of the Lord. And when did he write that? He wrote that while he was on the run from King Saul. That's a big view of God. When someone can encounter hardship and still worship God and call people to that view instead of to panic and chaos. That's what all of us should be doing. That's what all of us should be encouraging others to do. To remember God for who he really is. That yes, he is a God of justice and love and peace and and mercy. He's also a humble, humble God. who came down to kneel among us, who sacrificed himself for our sake. Every bit of who God is should inform who we are and how we are to live in light of that. We have to remember that, that that our view of God can't be skewed. It has to be complete. And that God indeed is is all-powerful and and all-knowing, and he's always present. But he's not too big to kneel down and wash people's feet. That's who God is. 
See, the, Artemis was in this pantheon of, of Greek, Roman you know, gods and goddesses, and the way that they viewed their gods is that they were uh, flawed, just like humans. Uh, sometimes they were distant, sometimes they were cruel. What a terrible way to view God. We can't make the same mistake by overemphasizing one aspect of what we know God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit to be. We need to call people to a, a big view of God and a complete view of God. And the only way to do that is to read his word, to continue to grow in relationship with him, to abide with him every day. That's, that is how we are able to see him clearly, which then would lead us to be able to live rightly. Uh, I'm running out of time, so I, I just want to use uh, one last picture of how strong a mental image, how strong uh, something in your mind can affect what you do and, and, and how you live. Um, Florence Chadwick was a, was a world-class swimmer, and, and she had uh, she'd been successful in swimming the English Channel, and she wanted to, to swim uh, from Catalina Island to, to mainland California, which is uh, 26 miles in the Pacific Ocean, and no woman had ever done it before. Um, so she set out to do that, and uh, she got in the water of the Pacific Ocean. Just imagine those waves. Just think about that for a second. I can't run 26 miles. I can, probably can't walk 26 miles. But imagine getting in the Pacific Ocean with those waves. She's going to swim 26 miles. And there's boats all around her uh, to offer support and help you know, make sure she's going you know, in the right way. And, and night begins to, to fall and things become very uh, foggy. And she says in an interview that it got so dark and so foggy, she could not even see the hand in front of her face, right? And she's swimming in the Pacific Ocean. What a scary experience. And, and she calls out to the boats. She goes, I'm done. I can't, I, I can't make it, right? And so they, they pull her in and um, they ask her, why, why, why'd you stop? I can't see anything. It, it's too dark. It's too foggy. I, I just, I can't see where I'm going. And when she's in the boat, she's able to finally see what's going on. And she was a half mile from the coast of California. A half mile. She had been in the water for 15 hours and 55 minutes. But she stopped a half mile short because she couldn't see where she was going. And she later tried again. And she got in the water boats all around her, and it was a beautiful day, clear skies, and things are going well, but it got dark, and it got foggy, and again, she said she couldn't see anything. Um, but she kept going. She ended up uh, swimming there and beating the world record by two and a half hours. And in the interview, after she got there, this is what she said, they said, hey, last time, last time you quit, you called it quits early, you couldn't make it. Uh, what was the difference this time? And she said, I want to quote this, uh, this time it was easy because I kept a mental picture of the California coastline in my mind. And as long as I didn't lose sight of where I was going, I could handle the trip getting there. What, what you think about God, what you believe about God directly affects 
how you are going to live your life in this world. It will directly affect how you are going to react to certain things. Our understanding of who God is and what he's done for us is of great importance. We need to have a big view of who God is, a complete view of who God is, and we need to be reminded of it often. We need to encourage other people often. So that when we're met with opposition or, or we see uh, uh, things pressing in upon us, challenging our beliefs, we don't respond in, in fear and panic or anger. No. We can respond with a resolute, steadfast faith because we know that our God is not small. Our God is amazing. Our God will, will do what he says he is going to do. We can hold firm to that. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Uh, Father, I thank you for your son, Jesus. I, I, I thank you that, that you sent him not only to die for us, but to show us how he ministered, to give us an example, to show us who you are a little bit more clearly. God, I just, I ask that you would help every one of us feel the need and the desire to, to know you more. That, that we would uh, begin to begin to seek you and a whole picture of who you are. God, that we would um, that we would continue to enlarge our view of who you are. Oh God, will you do that for us? It's in Jesus name I pray. Amen. <laughs>